Um, I, I, got a, I got a mess of a story on my hands to share with you, so I could really, really mess this one up today. So uh, this is probably one of the most difficult stories, you know, in the Bible, in, in my opinion. And uh, I, have, I have a few goals for this series. And, um, and one of the goals for this series that we're doing is just to help you get unstuck. That's one of the main goals. We get stuck in life. Um, and sometimes we need a little nudge, a little something to get us unstuck. So just think about it in the, in the I went off the ditch and my car is stuck. I need, do you guys remember this? I mean, you, you get down there, you stick some boards in there. Anybody ever do <laughs> Do you guys ever do this? Like stick a two-by-four in there, maybe that'll work, and, and then that starts slipping, and, you know, we got cardboard. Whatever you can find, you keep shoving things in there. And then sometimes you need someone to just give you some, a push just to get it going. And so my hope in this series is if you get stuck uh, spiritually, emotionally, a certain stage in life that this could help you. And the stories, the stories in Abraham's life, if you start to internalize them, I think can help you. It's kind of like having this deep reservoir to draw on when you need to. So I sent an email out on Friday to all of you who are part of the email. And what I was saying in there is, you know, when I was younger... I used to make fun of Shakespeare because I thought it was stupid. Now, how ignorant am I to make fun of the guy who's the, the, arguably the best writer to ever use the English language? And the reason that I did was because I was too young, naive to understand Shakespeare. Are you with me? And what I found, not that I do now, by, by the way, but uh, little by little, uh, what I found is a lot of times we do the same thing. We're ignorant of something, and so because we don't know how to handle it, um, we mock it. This week, um, a friend of mine told me a story which I thought was engaging or helpful. He said, you know, my daughter went off to college, and she took one, one class and dropped out of church and is an expert in religion now because of one one class. But the reality is, this is not an uncommon story. As you know, if you've heard me talk about these things before, it doesn't take much for somebody who's um, ignorant, in the, I don't mean that in the wrong way, you have a professor that took a class on comparative religions, and he finds two or three things in the Bible that contradict and this and that, and he shares it with these college kids, and they go, oh, it's all a bunch of lies. And so they pack their bags, and they go. It's sort of like the danger of knowing just enough about a subject to think you understand it. And not enough to know you don't know. These are the kinds of things that happen over and over again. So not only did I want to help move us get unstuck in some areas of our life because we all get stuck. But I wanted to help us read and internalize these stories. Because the thing you have to remember is, and I'll dive in in a second, but just a little context. When 
when these stories are written, and when these stories were told, the stories of Abraham, people told them over and over and over and over and over again. So you come to church, and maybe, you know, the pastor gets around to it every so often, and you're like, yeah, I guess I remember something about Abraham. But no, these, these were told again and again and again. They didn't have Disney. At our house, we watched Disney, Trolls, you know, Ariel. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Over and over and over again. And so, just a context for you, they weren't sitting back learning this story and going, oh, that's interesting. They had heard that a hundred times. They were finishing the sentence of the person telling the story. And then, um, and then they did something with these stories. They internalized them to help them get through the trials and the tests of life. Anybody found life can throw a couple of tests at you? We're going we're gonna to talk about what I think is the ultimate test today. So I want to do this as an introduction. Um, I want to welcome our online family. So a quick welcome, uh, random places I picked. Phoenix City, Alabama. I never knew there was such a thing. Welcome Phoenix City. Welcome Vail, Arizona. And Lakeland, Florida. Tampa, Florida. Man, half of Florida, it seems like. Oh, it's good. Davison, Michigan. Akron, Ohio. Uh, Texas. And a special welcome to my twin brother, who just turned 97 on Friday. Brother Charles Cromer. And uh, he, uh, I, I went and... and, and uh, Got to share with him in his, uh, in his uh, senior living center the other day, and he turned 97 on Friday. And those of you who know Brother Charles, uh, he's a dear, dear uh, friend and member and family of Orchard Grove. There he is. And uh, he turned 97 on Friday, so I know he's watching as well. So let's welcome all of our online family. Thank you guys for being part. All right. So, um, so really what I want to do today's message is I want to give you the fish, which is to help you get unstuck, and then I want to teach you to fish. Anybody, you know this one, right? So I'm going to let it, like, fielder's choice. Which do you want first? Do you want the, do you want the fish or the lure? Really? You want, all right, we'll save the fish for the end? So what we're going to do, okay, you asked for it. We'll start with the fishing lesson. And it's good because, you know, if you teach, you know, the saying, right? If you hand a person a fish, you feed them for the day. So, typical Sunday morning, you come to church and hopefully the pastor does okay. Because if he does okay, people smile and they go, thank you, pastor. That really lifted me up today. That really blessed me. And if you kind of missed, which I've done a few times, whiffed at the plate, they just leave. <laughs> and they sometimes come back next week. But if you, if you connect to them, you handed them the fish. You say, boy... I was feeling that. Boy, I needed that. Boy, that connected to me. That's handing the person the fish. A good thing to do for pastors. Something that I try to do. Fish per week. But, but what we have often not done well is taught you how to fish. How did you get there? And here's the reason. Because I think if we could do that, we would have a little less of Susie so-and-so went to college, took her first class, and then dropped out of the church. And I think there's a reason for that, because we haven't spent enough time teaching, explaining how we get to these things. So this would be a great time 
because we can start with one of the most difficult stories in the Bible, Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. If you've been following, we were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for Isaac to be born. And finally, Isaac, the child of promise, is born. Abraham, in the story, is 100 years old. And he, God said to Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the region of Moriah. I mean, the next two words are sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountains I will tell you about. First of all, we have to talk about how we're talking about these stories. Because to start here, if you start with literal, God literally did this. Abraham literally Early next morning, he saddled his donkey, and he took his son, Isaac. He cut wood. They set off for the sacrifice. If you take it literally, this puts God at the height, right? At the height of child abuse. Um, I think, is there a picture of Charlie coming up? There might be. This is Charlie this past week. And some of you know... Um, some of you know, like, what it's like to have a child. And I was late in my life to be able to finally have a daughter. Um, this is, this smile, this joy, this laughter, this child that you wait for and wait for and wait for. And then one day, one day God says, okay, I hope you enjoyed that now. Now, of course, these are, these are the things that a college professor will take and say, see, you really don't want to follow a God like that because that is, and then on and on and on the story would go. So if I can, in the teaching you to fish, what I want to do is give you some glasses. We talked about this. You read this story with a pair of glasses. And we'll call these glasses literal. You read the story, that's what happened. It literally happened. And you put it in a bucket. Or as I say, you take the story and you put it on a bookshelf. And on the bookshelf, what I found is a lot of Christians do, they put it in the middle bookshelf, which is called, that's confusing. Because we think of God as a God of love, God of mercy. But he, he would ask me to take a, and sacrifice. That's confusing. And I'll put it in the confusing bookshelf. Um, if, if I'm a skeptic, I, I take it and I put it over here like, that's brutal. That's uh, outrageous. That's archaic. That's ridiculous. 
That's a book that should be thrown away. So you put it on the bookshelf of trash. This is trash. And you should trash it. You should walk away from it. But, but, if you change your glasses, which the Apostle Paul did, Galatians tells us, Paul talks about the story of Abraham. He says, these things, Galatians 4, 24, these things are to be taken figuratively. And you start to see these as deep, this is so important, deep resonating stories, which we're going to get into, that deal with the deep human soul and psyche, that these have been passed on for generations. You put it on this shelf over here next to Shakespeare. Things maybe I need to learn more about, but are absolute gold. Why? Because... When you really start to understand these stories, these are the stories. Look, these are the stories that will get you through the darkest and most difficult days of your life. Because one day you will wake up and it will feel like God is asking you to give away the thing that matters the most to you. It will feel like life has ripped away what matters the most to you. It will feel like you've had to take the thing you've waited for and hoped for and prayed for your whole life, and now you're having to let go of it. Speaking of other things I used to mock when I was young, there was this little, I don't know where, but remember these little refrigerator magnets that when you were a little kid and they had little cheesy graphics on them and they're... They were on your grandma's fridge and you made fun of them. Anybody? Uh, this, the one like said, you know, if you love it, set it free and it's yours. Or many remember this one. And it returns to you. It always was. If it flies away, you're a loser. Anyway, it's something like that. And, and I remember it. And I thought, oh, this is so stupid. But then what I realize is, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. These, these themes are deep. Like if you love something, set it free. And it returns to you. Do you see, I don't have to give away the punchline, do you, in the, in the story? Like, Isaac isn't sacrificed. He's, he, in the last minute, Abraham in the story, he's got his hand like this, and the angel stops him and says, no, and there's a ram in the thicket, and the ram, it takes the place of the boy. But here's the thing. It's the, it's the letting go. It's the letting go. This is the deepest and profoundest story about letting go. Now, everybody look here. This could be the most life-changing concept for you to let go. To let go. Why? Because none of us like to let go. None of us. We don't like to let go of our pride. We don't like to let go of our position. We don't like to let go of our politics. We don't like to let go of our purse. We don't like to let go of our prestige. We don't like, we hold on to that with two fists. And what we have to learn in life is you can't hold on to all that stuff forever. You have to learn to what? You have to let go. For us control freaks, this is tough. It is. 
because we've been taught, you know, I, I just, I'll just manage my way. I'll just control my way through this. And I went to a seminar on this somewhere, and I know how to fix this. And no, th- what happens is what you learn, the, the, the deepest, deepest, deepest truths are stuck in these stories. And what they're saying is the key to life, the key to real joy, the key to getting to the other side is letting go. And some of us are so stuck. And what we need to do to get unstuck is we have to let go. You just got to let go. You got to let go of trying to get back. You got to let go of trying to get even. You got to let go of trying to hold on. You say, but this is what God, God gave me this job. I'm not letting this manager take it from me. You know, God gave me this. I'm not letting this person take it. Let it go. Because if you let it go, then God can give it back to you. This is the story. Why is it so extreme? Because it needs to be extreme. That's when you listen. When the story sets up and you're around the campfire and and they start telling the story, everybody leans in. Isaac. You see, we lean in and this is how the stories are told because they they need the extreme. I mean, if God said, hey, give me a Thursday or set aside 40 days for Lent, oh, that's a little stress. Oh, man, chocolate? God, I mean, that's not getting your attention. I mean, it just gets a little bit. But if they say, your son, all of a sudden, all the focus is lasered in. This is the ultimate test. God tested, he says. Do you know life tests you over and over and over again? And, and when we test something, we're trying, to, we're trying to assess how good is it now? How, how, how ready is it? Many of you, you work in the auto industry. Some of you work on the test track right over here in Milford. And you put it together and then you test it. Is it ready? Is it ready to hand off? And it's like, are you ready? How do you know? How do you grow? You, you don't grow by never having a test. Life is one test after another test. After, have you found this to be true? After another test. And when you get to this point, you, you, you have to make a decision. Am I really ready to let go? The story of, the story that we're going to celebrate coming up, the death and the resurrection, is about the same exact pattern, letting go and receiving back. Jesus has to let go of his life. He has to. He said, if I don't let go, a single seed, just if, if it doesn't die, it just remains a single seed. But if it dies, if it goes into the ground, if it's planted, then it comes back. You know, the great key in life is just being willing to let go. It's also the hardest thing to do. Um, you know, the idea of sacrifice in the Bible, if I can for a minute, um, people talk about it in different ways, and one of the ways that's understood is they had this inter instinct, this inner knowledge, if you would call it instinct, that 
that they should somehow bargain with God. Like, if we sacrifice this animal or this person, then God will act in, in such a way. And so the other thing that you might want to note in this story is while you and I, with our modern ears, would read this and hear, whoa, sacrifice a son thousands and thousands of years ago in other places, this is what happened, if you know your history. So the other thing that's interesting, this story, when you read it back then, it was like, oh, here it comes. And then the shock for us is early when they say, sacrifice your, your son. The shock for them back then was, wait a minute, he got to live? He got to live. I don't know if you realize this, but this was a momentous volume uh, move forward in the development of human consciousness where they realized that you didn't need to do these things to get God's favor. Now, later on, the prophets talked about that. Later on in the scriptures, the prophet says, God doesn't delight in sacrifices. God doesn't need that. Let me just say, thank God for that, right? Doesn't, God doesn't need any of that. But it doesn't take away the deep, deep metaphor, the deep truth that to really get unstuck in life, you have to be willing, willing to let go of that which you hold most dear. Not because God ever, ever wants to take anything away from you, but because... How can I say it this way? You know, I always wondered sometimes the way people, some people describe worship um, make, to me, you have your own take on it, but to me, made God seem a bit needy. So let's worship, give God our worship, whatever that meant, if it meant singing or clapping or giving money or going to serve the poor, whatever it is. And it was... The way it was projected sometimes, I thought, well, man, that makes God sound really needy. Does it, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm, um, you know, like I'm needy. You know, Charlie, please give Daddy a kiss. And when she doesn't, it just, it's heart-wrenching. You know what I mean? But if she does, it's so good, you know. But it's as if God's this needy parent and he just needs us to say good things about him. But, of course, that would just bring God to such a low level. So if I could say something about any type of worship, I would just like to say this. God, in my opinion, and I think tons of scripture I could share with you, is not needy. He doesn't need anything from us. Thank God for that. Huh? I mean, thank God that we don't serve a needy God. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need you to say good words about it to make his day better. We need someone above us. We need to be oriented in such a way that we realize there is higher than us. There is greater than us. The story's bigger than us. In other words, if you don't worship God, you kind of end up worshiping yourself. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but think about what I'm saying. There's a lot of truth to it because if you don't kneel, if you don't get the idea that 
that God is bigger, that it's bigger. It's not me. It's not about me. You know, the, the other, I'm trying to figure out how do I teach Charlie? You know, I, I don't want to teach her the, the stuff, some of the stuff that I heard in church growing up because I think it's so misguided. And, but, but I want to teach her. And so, you know, just the other day after you had breakfast, I'm just, Charlie, just say thank you, God. You know, and she puts her hands together. Thank you, God. Amen. That's it. That's good for me. It's bigger than you, Charlie. It's bigger than dad. It's bigger than mom. That'll do. Thank you, God. I want her to somehow be rightly oriented where she's not, because she thinks she's up here most of the time, and I probably contribute to it, right? But I want her here in the divine dance, but knowing that God's higher. We don't do good as God. We, just, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do well there. We don't perform well. We try. And so the lack of control is the recognition of God's higher, can I use the word authority or presence over us. And so people... They, they fight and fight and fight and fight to let go. But, but, the, but the place that you really will feel most comfortable and you will feel most alive is when you get here. We don't worship or serve or any of this. I, we shouldn't because it's, it's in somehow God's need or God's interest. It's in our interest. And that's incredibly freeing. There's no need the Bible talks about this over and over again. God is cattle on a thousand hills for another great metaphor. There's no, there's no scarcity. But you and I, we need to rightly align ourselves with reality. I, I do think what happens, I'm not interested in winning an argument with a college professor about these things because if, if they jab at them because of the way that they read them or the lens of glasses that they wear, that's up to them. But what I am concerned about is a generation that's growing up and as we talked about before, is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's literally throwing God to the side. Not rightly aligning themselves. Literally kind of putting themselves here in this position. This is not a good position for us. It brings despair. It, it, it actually brings hopelessness. Without God, without hope. And so as difficult as this idea and this story is, it's a deeply, deeply, deeply embedded truth that we all sort of know. And what we know is this. You have to let go and put God back into the place that God should be in our life. I've never been a fan of like the pastor telling everybody what to do and what to think and, and do this and don't do that. And I've just never been a fan of that style and it never helped me. It never really um, motivated me. It more frustrated me. So that's not at all what I'm interested in trying to do with you. But 
I will just say this. If you take your life and you venture away and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the God up here. This is going to be a stressful, lonely, troublesome life. God here, don't get me wrong, there are the trials and the tests, they, they come. But there's something right about when you get your life oriented with God. And I think that's the story of Abraham. Isaac means laughter, joy. Where God wants to get us is when our life is full of joy. Joy and happiness. But it comes when we have God in the right place in our life. I say this a lot. <laughs> I think one of the things that happens is we, we try to bargain with God. You know, hey, I'll do this if you do that. You may know this. And, and, you know, as if God's like, you know, four years old, like the way I barter with Charlie. It, it, it's, it's not the place that you want to be. What you need to do is the place of surrender. That God, you're bigger and can I say this? Um, you're more aware than I am. And so I, I am no longer going to try to control my own life. But I'm going to genuinely and definitely put it in your hands.